Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome to the Hidden Yardage Podcast. I'm Mark Lane. You can follow me on Twitter at the Real Mark Lane. I'm joined as always by Sean Martin. Follow him on Twitter at Sean Martin NFL. Hey, buddy, it's good to talk to you this weekend. Hey, great to be back. And you know, we usually do a Twitter Spaces around this time. We we will get back to that soon here. But in the oil of not doing the spaces, let me just bring in a topic real quick here off the top that. Uh, we usually do cover in the spaces. It's more of a laid back, non-football talk sometimes type of deal. And so I know one of the things you've asked me about before, Mark, right, is how I'm dealing with the Texas heat. And, you know, it's probably no secret at this point that I like to get out by the water when I can. That certainly helps you deal with the heat. But I don't know how much it helped a couple of my friends, and I owe a quick shout out to today because there was a 5K going on here in Austin on the water for WWF, raising money for pandas. So a great cause, great thing to see some pictures from and so i put out that anyone that kayaks 5k in this heat right now in a panda costume deserves a shout out and sure enough some people did it so steve alex chris all you guys out there if i'm forgetting anyone you guys are crazy for uh, for being out there in that heat in a panda costume but i saw alex's costume which is like a raccoon onesie i saw steve with the panda head on and it was pretty great so uh, yeah as promised i'm a man of my word shout out to them for being a part of that and hopefully in a couple of Sundays here though they're in the air conditioning watching the Cowboys football with us yeah definitely it all goes for a great cause um yeah and they were in those panda outfits too that's and you know it, it was a little hot right so I mean it's mostly white but you got a little dark color on there oh yeah when I saw Steve who was like the main head of the group who organized this thing Within five minutes, he was like, yeah, this was a terrible idea. And he hadn't even started the 5K yet. So the 5K went the opposite direction of where I was for most of the day today. Uh, so I didn't always see how he dealt with wearing a costume throughout the actual course. But, yeah, he was out there in the heat, uh, certainly soaking in the panda costume. And Alex was the same way with the raccoon costume. So they deserve a lot of credit for that one. And, again, it all went for a great cause. And I'm glad you shared that with us, Sean because hopefully it'll inspire others to to just think philanthropically and use their time and talents in a similar manner. All right, let's go ahead and get to some football, though. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys, they played the Los Angeles Chargers in their second preseason game, beat them 32-18 at SoFi Stadium. And what I want to know, Sean, is... It wasn't just the game, because let's be honest, there really weren't very many first-teamers that played mm-hmm. against the Chargers. A lot of that work was done during the week. So now that Chargers week is over, now that the camps and the joint practices are over, were you pleased with the work that Dallas got done in Los Angeles? 
Yeah, it's something of a great unknown, right? I mean, the overall depth of this team is a big concern, so I think they check that box pretty emphatically, you know, towards the positive with the way they came out and won this game against the Chargers with their twos and their threes going up against, you know, of course, as we know, the Chargers twos and threes as well. So that part of it was taken care of, but then you have to kind of take their word for how the starters are getting their work in the practice-type situations. They've been very comfortable with that being the extent that their starters work. And overall, you know, we saw some highlights. It was pretty good. We still saw Jerron Bland and Israel Makiwama in the secondary taking the ball away. So it's been a continuation of what they were working on in Oxnard and a little bit of what happened against the Broncos as well. But, you know, as far as the offensive line, still trying to kind of find itself. They certainly had some rough days, you know, scrimmage-type work against the Chargers. So, you know, overall not an, you know, entirely positive takeaway, but I don't think the Cowboys would want to be there yet either. You know, they're trying to build towards this week one game against Tampa Bay, and they have four more quarters against Seattle to go where, you know, this week you don't have the joint practices. So this week it's going to be how do we do just working on our core concepts for a week? How do we do just playing each other again and not having – you know, the other team that we're going to be playing across from us. How do we do just working on Cowboys stuff and then going to apply it to an opponent that we haven't seen? So that's, of course, how it's going to be in the regular season. They'll get a little bit of work in that regard uh, this week before the Seattle game on Friday. One of the complaints coming out of Broncos week was, man, their ones just took it to town. And the passing game for Dallas looked bad. Were you pleased with the way the ones looked? Um is there a little more concern about how all of that went now that they've played another AFC West team? Yeah, the Chargers defense the last year, you know, was really something that held them back from being a playoff team. You know, they were right on the verge there. Week 17, Justin Herbert, I think we all want to see a little bit more of him and if he could get those Chargers into the playoffs, but it just didn't, didn't happen. And because of that, you know, a lot of it was the defense that held them back. And to their credit, they've made some really good moves there on that side of the ball, but you know, they still have work to do, and so you saw that against the Cowboys offense. C.D. Lamb was making some big plays in the joint practices, and they continued to get the ball to Jalen Tolbert, who then almost had a touchdown in the in the game there from Cooper Rush. So, yeah, the passing game kind of found its way a little bit. I still think, you know, one of the themes that I've been talking about with this offense is that they're going to be set up very well for short field, sudden change type of offense, which is what you're hoping Dan Quinn's defense can give you as far as taking those one or two sides down the field or being able to run it. But I, I would still have a lot of concerns about this offense, you know, having to go 80, 90 yards on its own. You just haven't seen that type of consistency, and the penalties are still there that hurt you in that regard as well, and those were a factor in the game once again.
Yeah, I think we could be looking at, you know, almost the exact opposite type of approach to this season and what we saw unfold last year. And, you know, I think most Cowboys fans would sign up for that because last year, of course, you got out, out of the gates pretty hot. Yeah, you lost week one to the Bucks, and you had the Bucks again in week one this year. So, you know, maybe you're looking at a similar outcome or maybe you find a way to beat Tom Brady, who hasn't even showed back up to a Bucks practice yet. I know that was a hot topic around NFL Twitter um, in week one at home, but you know, regardless, you start the season with some tough games like you did last year, and they got out of the gate playing well, but then they stumbled their way into the playoffs. And as you said there, you know, we could be looking at the opposite where they use these first couple of games to still find themselves. They still use it to get valuable reps for guys like Jalen Tolbert and the passing game before Gallup and James Washington are ready to contribute. And then once you have those guys and you have your attitude and your identity figured out, you could be actually playing your best football you know, going into the playoff type situation. Of course, it all sounds good in theory. We don't know what the NFC East is going to be this year. We don't know if you know it's going to be a decided factor like it felt like it was for much of the year. Last year, the Eagles could be right down your neck. The Giants could be right down your neck. So that one should make it interesting. And you have your first test against the Giants a week three, Monday Night Football. But yeah, I think most Cowboys fans who saw this team get off to a hard start, hot start but still not make anything of it in the playoffs would sign up for you know, using the beginning of this year to kind of find yourself and make sure that if you are playing towards meaningful football in December and January, that you're actually going to be playing your best football then and not, you know, September, October. Uh, yeah, I I think that, like I said, the first five games of the season, it's almost going to be like its own little season. And whether they win those games or lose them, it it's almost like a second regular season we get started after that, and then you'll really get a feel for where Dallas is at. These are kind of like, I don't know, like goodwill games or something, or like all-star exhibition matches that count on the schedule, but just I think more so are about driving the ratings than they are really measuring for what this Cowboys football team is going to be like, good or bad when they get into the heart of their schedule in November. And the one thing you'd hope to see some consistency from, though, you know, whether it's winning you those games earlier in the year that don't carry as much weight, or, of course, getting towards, you know, finding out how you can win the meaningful games late in the year, is this defense, though, of course. I mean, they've played so well through all the practices and now through two preseason games. So defensively, you know, you certainly wouldn't want to come out those first five weeks and just lose all this progress and, you know, be giving up a ton of yards and points and not being able to keep up, that would be a hard fix type of deal, I think. And it would be harder to say, you know, oh, they're going to get that corrected. And now, you know, the real games begin and we'll see them fix this. Defensively, I think you are looking for right from the gate. You know, maybe not against Tom Brady, but from there on out, you're looking for a defense that can really, maybe they're being asked too much. You know, I know we've covered that, but you are looking for a defense that can almost try to win you these games single-handedly sometimes or to carry you at least and get those types of turnovers and set up the short fields that the offense can take advantage of. And one way that they will have short fields in 2022, at least if you're a big TCU fan, is will be because of Kevontae Turpin. Um, he returned a punt return for a touchdown, kickoff return for a touchdown. That is exactly what they needed to see. From Turpin, as I called, and, um, you know, sure enough happened, and Sean was kind enough to put me on blast on Twitter about it, but 
You were busy watching the Astros, you know, you were making RJ happy watching his baseball. Oh, game. You know, thank goodness for NFL plus, I, you know, I'll go ahead and tell it. So obviously I live in Arkansas and we are in the Cowboys secondary market. So, I mean, anytime the Cowboys are on television, we get it. And we have the, you know, the Dallas Cowboys TV network. It's historically been that we get all of their preseason games. So it was on Fox, the Fox affiliate, and it showed on the program guide. All right, you know, baseball, you know, on Fox, and then Dallas Cowboys preseason game against the Chargers. Instead... They stayed on the Astros and the Braves Saturday night. Which went like 12 innings, didn't it? <laughs> yes. So I didn't join in progress till halftime. I think they joined in progress right when Tristan Hill actually had that um, strip sack recovery. Yeah, that was a flash play. And, you know, speaking of short fields, that was a way to set one up there. Yeah. yeah. So, that's, so that's what I got to see was – a bunch of Astros baseball, and then, you know, uh, the second half of a preseason game where none of the first teamers played for either side. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know whether or not I want to put a Maloik on the Braves, you know, since they won the game or what, but um, I'll be considering that just because – well, as someone has to get added every time the Yankees are losing, the Astros win by RJ for whatever ungodly reason, even though you know the two teams have so little to do with each other until the playoffs come along, I will gladly say go Braves as long as they're playing the Astros. So that's – all right, so that's what I had to deal with. But the point is, Turpin, I think he showed it because, like I said last week, they're not playing they're, – they're not scheming so much – with their coverage units on special teams. They just kind of want to see people's individual ability. They're really just kind of playing man. And so if he can take advantage of, frankly, that dysfunction um, every time the ball's in the air, then I think that that shows that he may be able to find you some hidden yardage in the regular season. Uh, during the transition phase of the game. So, yeah, I think that that was great work. But, hey, I mean, he also had a fair catch, too, which what's the big deal with that? He's also showing that he can protect the football, ensure that he makes favorable decisions that result in winning the field position game. So, yeah, if, if Turpin is able to um, just – replace cd lamb's big playability in punt return tony pollard's big playability on kickoff return maximizes those two guys plays on offense and that'll help the team and then your special teams does not have to suffer as a result i don't know if i've ever seen a returner hit the 30 yard line and it was a it felt like a done deal when he was gone i mean you could say oh well you, you only watch Cowboys games mostly, so you haven't even seen that many return plays, which is true, of course. The Cowboys have struggled there, and you know, I haven't seen many return touchdowns if you are just talking about Cowboys games. But still, there was just something different about the way Turpin 
hit the Jets and was able to take that kickoff to the house. I mean, at the 30-yard line, it was like, oh, he has a little bit of grass in front of him. Yeah, nobody's going to have the angle. I mean, you could just tell nobody's going to get close to him for the next 70 yards, and that's exactly how it went. So pretty amazing thing to see happen, of course, and if that continues into the regular season, you know, the Cowboys will finally have a guy where you can say, oh, you can't kick to him or don't kick to him, and, you know, that, that creates an extra problem for the opposing team to deal with in their special teams meetings throughout the week. So it's been a while since the Cowboys have had a guy like that. And, you know, they certainly saw something on Turpin's uh, TCU tape and his USFL tape and all those things recorded to bring in a speedster that helps them in the return game, but also could have a role in offense as well. Yeah. And he was somebody that was on their radar and John Fossil uh, wanted to, he, he was asking whether he needed to uh, cut his vacation in Idaho short to go uh, for the interview uh, when they were working out Turpin. And Will McClay was like, no, no, you're good, you're good. You can stay in Idaho. So this is someone that John Fossil, yeah, he's Fossil's been excited to work with him. Going back to 2018, mind you, when he exited TCU. So he's been on John Fossil's radar for a while, too. I'd love to know more why John Fossil was vacationing in Idaho, but nonetheless, um, when I was in Montana, you could see some of the mountain peaks that are technically over the, the Idaho border. My friend likes to point that out, like, oh, technically that's not part of Montana, and you can see into, you know, Idaho, and you know, if you start going towards Washington or any of those those other states, but I'm cool with just seeing Montana. I don't think I need to see Idaho at any point soon. Um, you know, special teams-wise, though, I mentioned last week with the guys Fossil has had contributing the most, though, what you'll have to see on that list of, you know, core special teamers is that they also provide depth elsewhere. It's not just, you know, he does carry a pretty big roster influence when it comes down to cut days. Historically, his teams always have, but he's not, you know, at least so far with the Cowboys, keeping guys who only play on special teams. You know, he gets the best out of Noah Brown and Luke Gifford and all these guys who also are valuable at linebacker and receiver in these different spots. So Turpin, you know, you can make the case either way, whether he's, special enough on special teams where you can justify him not doing anything else on offense uh, to keep that roster spot. Or, you know, of course, Kellen Moore could find a role for him and you could be a, a guy that you hand a jet sweep to or you take a shot down the field even one or two times a game or, you know, one or two times every other game. And I think that would be worth it enough to, uh, you know, more than justify what you're getting in the return game as well from a guy like Turpin. Yeah, and that's something else too. Turpin, when he showed up on the scene in training camp at Oxnard, he talked about how he wants to contribute on offense, that he doesn't just see himself as a returner because the Cowboys see him as that right now. He sees himself as helping the team, doing what he can, but he's got his eyes on playing some offense too. Yeah, the Cowboys have used that jet sweep you know, receiver before um, in multiple iterations of the offense you know, back before. Kellen Moore was the coordinator, but when he was still a part of this, so he certainly knows that you know that's a position where you can you can use to a, to your advantage schematically to help the run game or to help the quick passing game, whatever it may be. I mean, we say it all the time, but you can't teach a certain level of speed, and you certainly cannot teach the speed that Kevante Turpin has. You know, to hit the thirty yard line and be gone on a kickoff return is special, and then to show on a punt that you can also dance around side to side and still get up the field and go for a touchdown that way. You know, it's just game-breaking speed that you sure would hope, at least, that Kellen Moore, you know, throughout the year, whether it's not early in the year but later on, could find some kind of role for it because you're going to need it. You know, you have that speed in C.D. Lamb and Jalen Tolbert, 
beyond that, do you really have a big game-breaking play uh, type of receiver when it comes to speed? And, you know, Turpin can be that guy for you. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, he can. And... Some other guys that have been getting some attention throughout training camp is Nashon Wright. That's one. Then you've got Kelvin Joseph. That's another. And it seemed like Nashon Wright was having a good camp. And then he just, you know, kind of, I don't know, didn't live up to expectations against the Broncos. So then what's up with Nashon Wright? How did Nashawn Wright look to you against the Chargers? Yeah, it's tough. I still think, you know, he had some of those struggles where, you know, it's kind of funny the way that he's been beat so far. Like, you wouldn't expect him a corner that's so tall because you would think technique-wise where he has the longest way to go. You could tell, you know, he's made strides in his technique and Dan Quinn's been working with him and all those types of things. You know, technique-wise, he gets himself in great position a lot of these times. But, you know, somehow as a 6'4 corner, the ball's still going over his head or the ball's still beating him despite, you know, a couple of inches to the spot. So, you know, that finish at the catch point hasn't been there for him. And that's something that you think would come more naturally than his technique. But, you know, technique-wise, if they if they do see those strides in him the same way that he did against the Broncos and the Chargers, then, you know, it could be enough to stick on this roster and still play some special teams, of course, under Bones Fossil for you. So that's going to be a very interesting decision when it comes to if they've seen enough from right to, uh, you know, continue his development or, as a guy like Deron Bland or Kelvin Joseph, he already passed him up. And how do you think that Joseph has looked throughout the preseason? So, Joseph has mostly played well. You know, I think his man coverage ability is what you saw coming out of the college, and it's what you've seen so far with the Cowboys. One interesting note is, you know, I've been paying attention to who's been back there at safety for most of these snaps for this uh, defense in these preseason games. And, you know, it seems like the Cowboys' corners – 
they play more aggressive depending on who they know is behind them at safety because it's been, you know, a rotation of second or third teamers, of course, and you haven't seen Jaron Coase yet and Molly Coker, Donovan Wilson, things like that. So you have, you know, Joseph out there on an island, and it seems like his most aggressive plays come when Israel Makuama is behind him, which I like a lot because Makuama has proven that he could be on the field and really help you. So that's a pairing that you really could see more of, you know, not just in the preseason, but when these games start to count as well. So they've played pretty aggressive out there with corner. It's how Dan Quinn wants to play in coverage. And, you know, I think they have the safeties to finally play that way. And it can really fit Joseph's game pretty well as far as taking those chances on the ball, helping you get those takeaways. Of course, you already have that in Trayvon Diggs. So there's a case to be made where, you know, you want Diggs as your kind of gambling takeaway, splash play corner. And on the other side, instead of having that, you want maybe more consistency as opposed to two guys in Diggs and Joseph who are going to give up their plays but also make big plays. And that's what Bland and other corners have shown you. You know, Jordan Lewis, when he comes back from injury, and Anthony Brown, those guys could certainly stick to receivers and man coverage as well. But, yeah, Joseph can make plays on the ball, and I think he's shown a good bit of that. Let me pose a theory for you about Kelvin Joseph. Because would you say that he's better playing in live action regular season than he is in the preseason? That was the thing last year about him. Uh, I mean, I think he had a certain level of you know competition that probably brings out the best in his game. And, you know, these Cowboys coaches would tell him, though, I'm sure that you, know, you have to treat these preseason reps as close to – being a real regular season rep as you can, you know. So if that if that fire and that competitiveness isn't there just because it's preseason against the Chargers third string, then, you know, that's a cause for concern in the regular season. If he was a veteran starter that knew he was going to be playing in the regular season, then maybe you brush it off a little bit more. But he's very far from that, I think. You know, he hasn't proven that he's going to be any part of this rotation in the regular season. They have other names out there to trust at cornerback. And, I think Joseph slides in nicely, you know, to be a part of it if he can continue to make plays. But that's exactly what he needs to do, as opposed to thinking that he could just be on ice until the regular season, because that's not just by the indication we've gotten, you know, where the Cowboys coaches uh, see him right now. And so here's my theory about Joseph. Then is I think he plays well in the regular season as opposed to preseason because he's out there with people who know what they're doing. And as a result, know what he should be doing. And so they probably line him up where he should go, you know, remind him, no, 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 you got to go over there. And, or he doesn't feel like he has to compensate for everybody. And so he's more comfortable in that environment. In other words, long story short, I, I don't think he's yet at a point where he just focuses on himself and his job. Well, that's why, you know, overall, I think it was just a, his best plays were more of a positive note when I was taking my notes throughout this game on Makuama at safety. And that's why I think, you know, you just include him and you feel better about what he gives you at safety because he can play both deep. And he's really kind of taken over that Trayvon Coast role since he hasn't played this preseason down in the box as well. So, you know, he's a guy that you feel great about right now. And I think that kind of takes a back burner to uh, you know, what you've seen from Joseph and that kind of tandem at safety and corner. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's something that it'll get sorted out. But you talked about Deron Bland. So what's Bland doing? I mean, he's a rookie, yet, you know, he's 
really competing against guys that were taken in the second and third round last year. I mean, that says a lot about his development just over the course of the off-season program and training camp. Yeah, Deron Bland is already looking like another, you know, big tip of the hat towards the Cowboys scouting staff and their draft prep process. And to get him as a scheme fit for Quinn's defense in the fifth round in the Fresno State, I mean, you turn on his college tape and it's long arms in the face of receivers, blanketing them all the way down the field. Really a lot to like, but, you know, the consistency and some other things weren't there, which is why he was there for the taking in the fifth round, but he's already outplaying that draft status so far. He's a guy who, again, is so sticky in man coverage. There's a fluidness to his game. He's high-pointing the ball to get interceptions and joint practices against the Chargers, you know, ones and twos. So that was great to see, of course. So, yeah, I think Deron Bland's really going to help this team a lot already as a rookie and, you know, down the line, if the crystal ball this thing, if that means, you know, you don't have to – look at another big contract for one of these veteran corners or you can move on from somebody and invest somewhere else because you feel great about what you have and, you know, a second or third year player by the time Bland is there. And I think that's, that could be the case with him, but don't want to get too far ahead of, you know, what he's done so far. He still has to earn those regular season snaps, which I think could be a bit of a struggle once Jordan Orris comes back, which is going to be early on. And you still have Anthony Brown and Trayvon Diggs, but, yeah, I don't think there's any doubt at this point that Deron Bland is going to be a factor on this defense. They they need really all the pieces they can get on defense because I think there's going to be some ambiguity with the offense, obviously with the passing game to start out. But, you know, this running game, you talk about Ezekiel Elliott, you talk about Tony Pollard, but Zeke last year even though he played all 17 games, he had that injury in early October, and he gutted it out. Well, I mean, he missed time in 2020, so obviously there are injuries that can crop up that can knock Zeke you know, off of the active list for ball games. So with Rico Dowdle and the rest of that running back core that's behind them, I mean, do you think that they would have reasonable enough backs that could, you know, f- help them out in a game where Tony Pollard is the bell cow? Well, I know I'm not alone in this spot here, but I really like what Malik Davis has brought to this team. You know, there's definitely a strong contingent of Cowboys fans that, you know, want to see him continue to push Rico Dowdle at that RB3 spot. And I don't know how realistic that's going to be, but you don't hear too often about a team using – their pre-draft 30 visits on a player who ends up being a UDFA, you know, you do use them on some down the, the draft board players to help build that depth type of thing. You, know, you want to see how far each position goes in terms of draftability and where you can still find an actual contributor. So those things do happen. But they used a 30 visit on Malik Davis to get to know him, and then they were comfortable enough, of course, to sign him after the draft when nobody was willing to throw, you know, even a seventh-round pick at him. But he certainly outplayed that because – you know, he runs with the type of physicality and the power that they're trying to get back to. A lot of his runs are called behind Tyler Smith there, off guard, which you love to see. And you know, Smith has done so well in the run game, and Davis is right there getting every everything he can out of these power between the tackle type of runs. And he's shown some pass catching ability as well, the same way Dowdle can. So whoever gets shaken out at RB3, you know, I think you do feel good about that position right now. Elegant and Pollard, you still want to be your bell cows. You still want them to 
you know, eat up probably 98.9% of this, of the total sale of, you know, running back snaps just because it is such a good one-two punch. But in that little 2% window, if it does call for somebody besides Zeke or Paula to uh, play snaps at running back, yeah, Dowdle and Davis both seem like they can step in and get the job done. So they seem that way, but do you think that Kellen Moore would give them a chance or in a scenario where Pollard is having to be the bell cow, they just go ahead and load him up? Like that's what I'm saying is, do they trust those guys enough to basically have them? I mean, I guess in this case it'd be, They'd fill the Zeke role, and then Pollard does what he does. But that's what I'm saying. Would they, would they trust them enough, or would they just abandon the run? Well, I think that's why it might be hard for you know a guy like Davis to really pass up Dowdle on the depth chart, and he's trying like hell. I mean, he you can't fault him because you know his effort in these games has been great. But you know that's where I do think they have that trust in Dowdle. It's going to make it hard for anyone else to take that RB three role because. You know, he does run those routes in the flat and seems to fit in the Kellen Moore system a little bit better. So, you know, I don't know if he would be able to go all the way up the depth chart to give you, you know, what you had in Ezekiel Elliott if you're playing without Zeke. And you'd have to change some things in Pollard's game even to expect him to, you know, carry everything that Zeke gives you. But, yeah, Pollard would step in nicely to do do the best he can at RB1 or RB1A or whatever we're going to call him this season because it is going to be a pretty even type of split, I think. And then Dowdle can be that pass catching, you know, RB2 slash three once Elliott comes back, of course, type of player. So there is a comfort level that this offensive staff has Enrico Dowdle, but yeah, they should also be pretty excited about Malik Davis, you know, if they find a way to keep him on this 53. Yeah, and like I said, I think that they need to cultivate running back because I just, you talk about Tyron Smith missing time. Ezekiel Elliott, I think, is as much of a candidate to miss time these days as Tyron Smith is. Um, and, you know, it's just something you have to accommodate. And I think that's why this is a big year for Ezekiel Elliott to prove that, you know, okay, I can still get it done, still a workhorse, but you know, the reality could set in. So that's why RB3, I think, is kind of a big deal. Yeah, I mean, this is a team that's always invested, you know, heavily in all aspects of the run game, right? You know, look at the rosters. They go deep at offensive line, tight end, the running backs. They want everything, you know, to run through their ability to still pound the ball and be a physical running type of team. So whether that's for better or worse, you know, is another discussion. But, you know, trying to get back to that, you have a first-round pick, a left guard, who his best trait, you know, seems like it's obviously going to be helping out in the run game pretty early on in the year. And, and so you, you have a healthy Ezekiel Elliott on ice ready to take advantage of that. But we know that the NFL season is, has a lot of attrition to it, and it's 17 games now as opposed to the 16. So you better have some type of backup plan at almost every position. You know, I think against the Chargers, you saw finally they do have those at some of the key positions, but you still feel kind of wobbly at you know tackle. You know The tackle situation with Josh Ball is still a major concern. Quarterback, I don't know if Cooper Russ, Brandon Uchi, you know, did quite enough. Uh, Will Greer, where you think, you know, you can win any elongated period of games without Dak Prescott. But in a run game, you know, that's still a question mark. You might feel great about, you know, Pollard and Dowdle and Davis enough to go win a game, but I don't think they've proven 
quite that much yet where, you know, you don't have to see what they do against the Seahawks. So you have the, you know, you have Seattle coming in here to AT&T Stadium on Friday and they're still going to try to establish the run and do those types of things against a defense that, you know, has a pretty good front up there as well. So that's what we'll be watching for with Dowdle and Davis and all these running backs uh, in the final preseason game. And that's why this preseason game coming up on Saturday is going to be very interesting is because it's going to be the last word to settle some of those some of those position battles and then you know they'll have to make some hard cuts come august 30th and uh they'll they'll make them but they'll i think that they'll be able to put together a good 53-man roster and that's what mike mccarthy said he likes about the the setup with the three preseason games is you can do what you got to do to finalize that 53 and then focus on week one. He said the way it used to be with the four games, you're going into that weekend. You basically got about, you know, um, 192 hours until your first game. And within those first you know, 24 of those 192 hours. You got to trim the roster down to 53 and game plan. Now you can kind of partition it out and really feel prepared going into week one. I think the first round of Cowboys roster cuts, you know, mostly came and went without, you know, a lot of fans even knowing who some of the players were. They got waived, but, you know, I think we're in for some surprises coming here soon, whether it's cornerback or somewhere else on this defense or the offensive line where they need to find depth elsewhere and, you know, I think it's going to be quite the opposite. We're going to have one or two surprises where it's like, oh, you know, the, the teal leaves were there. They weren't having a great camp. Preseason has been a struggle, but, you know, you didn't think that they would actually cut ties. But, you know, I think we're going to see some commit. You know, all throughout the offseason, we know they've been committing to, you know, younger players stepping into where veterans were. Murray Cooper, what do you have behind him once he left? Oh, young receivers like C.D. Lamb, and then you drafted Jalen Tolbert and Simi Fajoko. So, you know, they're not – uncomfortable with the idea of, you know, their deaf players stepping in to roles that they've either earned or that they expect them to earn. And I think this next round of cuts is really going to show that, you know, you know with, a, with, a, with a couple of uh, potential surprises to come once they have to get this thing down for the Buccaneers game. And that they will. All right, Sean, let's go ahead and get to some Cowboys birthdays for this week. Starting off on Monday, Randall Cobb turns – 32 years old. Don't forget, the Packers receiver was with the Cowboys in 2019. Yeah, there's some great, you know, chemistry between Prescott and Cobb. I mean, they worked that thing pretty quickly. And now, of course, the narrative with, you know, Prescott and some of these veteran receivers that, you know, he's gone out and gotten a guy like Cedric Wilson paid. So, you know, that's been an elevated part of his game. But, yeah, there are definitely some memorable throws between uh, Prescott and Cobb and some clutch situations that you can remember this team making. And the thing with Cobb is after that he went to the Texans and then they in you know he's there in the 21 offseason program but started 21 training camp they traded him back to Green Bay and his Green Bay teammate said you look like you've been in jail the last two years yeah I don't remember you know hearing that exact quote from when he went back to Green Bay but uh, you know definitely uh, I guess Texas between both the Cowboys and the Texans took a toll on uh, what Cobb, you know Cobb's career at the very late stages of it at that point. Right. And then on Thursday, Jason Fabini, he was a tackle for the Cowboys. 
in 2006. They brought him in because he was a former New York Jet, Pat Cat of Bill Parcells, and he was basically plan B in case Mark Colombo didn't work out at right tackle because Colombo they signed in 05 after the Bears released him because he just basically had a knee injury that he was struggling to work through in his career. And, you know, he caught up. Colombo did a good job. And Fabini, I mean, they got rid of him after that. On Friday, John Condo, who I referenced on the BTV roundtable on Tuesday when they said they asked, what's the one position that is, uh, you know, no one's talking about that's troublesome to you. And I said, it's got to be long snapper. And I mentioned John Condo. Oh, in 05, in week three, he muffed a snap that made Jose Cortez miss an extra point, which back then were from like the one-yard line. And, yep. and so Cortez was complaining about it. And Larry Allen smacks him in the face, all because of John Condo's <laughs> uh, bad snap. Anyway, he turns 41 years old. And then on Saturday, Darren McFadden turns 35. He's a running back for the Cowboys from 2015 to 2016. And those are your Cowboys' birthdays. Man, he and McFadden's name just brings back such a great era for the Cowboys' offensive line. I mean, they're trying – you've got to give them credit. They're trying to get back to that. But I'm just looking at – his pro football reference page again. It's just amazing, isn't it? I mean, in 2015, the Cowboys offensive line was so good that they had Doug McFadden rush for 18, uh, 1,089 yards. The year before, 2014 of Oakland, 534 yards, 379 in 2013, you know, and only 1,000 yard season back in 2010. And in 2015, he shows up with, you know, almost his career high in yards. So, yeah, the Cowboys are trying to get back to that point with the offensive line and, whether or not they have that juice still in Ezekiel Elliott to take full advantage of it. But Tyler Smith, you know, being a first-round pick there can help a whole lot. But, yeah, I just remember seeing McFadden, you know, going right behind Zach Martin, Ohio Collins out in space blocking for him. And, you know, they really got the most out of him, which was a testament to just how great those lines were. Yeah, and McFadden they had kind of like as the um, chairman or, you know, just basically the guy that Joseph Randall had to beat for the RB1 job, uh, it never really happened. And instead, McFadden, yeah. So you had in 13, DeMarco Murray gets over 1,000. 14, Murray gets over 1,015. McFadden, then 16, Elliott. I mean, and that just proved how dominant that offensive line was that it didn't matter who the running back was. That running back, if he got, you know, 200 carries, was going to get a thousand yards. If we give you a carry behind the prime offensive line, what's you know, what was their best year in there? Probably 2014, DeMarco Murray, right? We give you a carry behind the prime 2014 Cowboys offensive line. How many yards you got? Uh, I think 30. I think I could get 30 yards before <laughs> you're getting you're getting to the second level, you're getting pushed out of bounds. It was like a safety tackle, yeah. Safety, I think, a, I think, a, I think a linebacker. Might be able to run me down. Man, if you you get an NFL carry and you get coughing behind, that's going to live with you forever. Hey, I'm being realistic. Like, you know, that's what would happen right now if I did it. I mean, I'd be lucky I didn't 
pop a hamstring or something. Well, yeah, yeah that's, why, that's why I thought you were going to go. I mean, my realistic answer would be like, I'd be ecstatic to get back to the line of scrimmage, you know, some defensive end screaming off the edge, you know, knocks me down or something. Exactly. Yeah. It's, but, uh, you know, that's why we let those able bodied guys who train go ahead and play the game and not us. We just talk about it. And yeah, we, we just wear pinned onesies out there. And, on right. The <laughs> yeah. Hey, be sure to subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, and Stitcher. And also check out uh, First and Ten with Dave Sturgio, Tony Catalina, and Aiden Davis. They also come out on Monday, and they always do great work on the Blog and the Boys Podcast Network. So, Sean, here we got coming up. Um, like I said, I think the week of August the 29th, through September the 2nd, I think that's the week when we need to go up to Dallas and have the pork roll sandwich at that Dallas deli, per the suggestion of Jesse Holly. Yeah, we're getting down to it. You know, I met another Dallas native out there on the river today, so she was saying that uh, you know, some of her favorite restaurants in that area, of course, as well. But, yeah, you know, we're getting down to it, so we're going to make this happen, people. You know, this is this is episode 30 of Hidden Yardage. You've been hearing us talk about it for probably about almost that long. I don't know if it came up in our first ever episode, but, you know, for almost 30 episodes, you've been hearing us talk about this. So, you know, Mark and I are promising that we will, uh, will make this happen. And like I've mentioned, you know, from here in Austin, always looking for a good excuse to get up to the Mothership area for Dallas. So I will definitely uh, be there for that, like I mentioned last week. All right. So there it is. 